today. I invite you to kneel with me. Let's uh, come before the Lord and uh, petition the Lord together. Our most loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we praise Your holy name this morning. We praise You in our hearts for all Your loving care for us and Your protective hand, and especially, Lord, for Jesus. We praise Your holy name that You loved us so much uh, that You gave all heaven so that we may be saved. And Lord, we pray for grace that uh, we may be saved, uh, that we may keep our eyes looking upward and climbing the true ladder, Jesus Christ. Lord, You've heard these praises this morning. We praise You again from our hearts uh, for uh, protecting us from harm, for providing the necessities of our life, for Your Holy Word, that You've given us this Word to, to form our characters in a righteous way. And Lord, may we learn uh, the lessons that You have for us. Uh, we uh, lift up before You uh, Lord, the the people in our lives that we're ministering to. Uh, Brother Tim has uh, met several people, uh, one named Kathy, who, who was given the great controversy. We pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will be very near to her and draw her to the cross. Um, be with Tim as he ministers in his area and be with those on his prayer list. Be with those that are taking Bible studies and those who are receiving the books that we send out, Lord, and those who are watching the television program. And, and uh, Lord, be with all uh, of those that uh, we, we come into contact with, that we may be a light to them. Uh, Lord, we also pray that You will help us to be unencumbered with the world, uh, to uh, be getting rid of those things that are unnecessary, that actually drag us down. Uh, please continue to be with those who are working to be debt-free, uh, such as the McGee family. Uh, Lord, we also uh, want to pray for uh, for our group here. We humbly ask that we may step out, and as we step out in faith, that you will bless us. Uh, you know the things that we're trying to do here. Uh, help us to get into the community, and uh, Lord, to to reach souls for the kingdom. Time is short. We see the earthquakes. We see the signs in the heavens. And we pray, Lord, that not only may we be ready, but that we may be preparing our families and all others for Christ's coming. Lord, I humbly ask that you give me the words to speak here this morning. This is a a mighty topic. And, uh, Lord, I I wish to speak your words and not my own. Uh, And may hearts be uh, open to this truth. And uh, may we be able to share it uh, with others. And, Lord, please forgive us for our sins. They are many. And we pray, Lord, that as we claim the blood of Jesus that was shed at Calvary, that we not only will be uh, forgiven, but that we will remain in the Lamb's book of life. We thank you, Lord, so much for this place and the opportunity to be here and for hearing our prayer. So we ask it in the blessed name of Jesus, who is worthy. Amen. I am very encouraged. The Lord... You know, I, I my relationship with the Lord has grown more when I realize, I mean fully realize, not just a mental assent, but fully realize that He loves me and He has my best interest at heart. In all things, in the hardships, He allows the hardships. He could easily step in and make our life nothing but roses and peaches and cream, you know. But He knows us and He loves us and and He allows things to happen for our best interest. Uh, And He has our best interest in mind. And that kind of goes in with what I want to talk about. I've entitled this uh, study, Taken by Babylon, and I'm going to begin by reading our scripture reading, Second uh, Chronicles. We're going to spend some time in Jeremiah as well. Um, 
But what I want you to understand and what the Bible says and what we see in the cross and what we see in the life of Jesus is a God who loves us tremendously. A God who loves us more than we can actually love ourselves, if you can think about that. And He has our best interest in heart. And at heart, and things that happen to us are usually the result, oftentimes, of our decisions, our choices. But God will use even the worst choices that we've made to try to hone us, to draw us to Him. Isn't that true? Sometimes we get into a position that we can, in a way, and I've described it this way sometimes, as, as binding God's hands to a certain degree, you know, if that were possible. Because He gives us the freedom to choose, doesn't He? You know, if we turn in the, the Hebrew Bible to Second Chronicles, you realize that in the Hebrew Bible, the, the uh, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 36 is actually the last chapter in the Hebrew Bible. And this is where we find our scripture reading for this morning. It said, as Brother Tim read it, And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by His messengers. He sent to His people messengers. Why is a messenger sent? It's a pretty simple question, isn't it? To convey what? A message, right? So God sent them messengers. It says, rising up betimes and sending because He had what on His people? compassion. He loved His people. And it says He had compassion on His people and on His dwelling place. But they, what did they do? They mocked the messengers of God and despised His words and misused His prophets. What do you think that means? There are many ways to misuse the prophets, aren't there? They would abuse the prophets. They would misuse what the prophets said. The message is given. Does that ever happen? <laughs> it still does to this day, doesn't it? But they did it to a, a point. They did these things up until a point that they brought the wrath of God. That's interesting the way that the Old Testament describes that. The wrath of God, the wrath of the Lord here, it says, arose against His people there, till there was no remedy. Now, what we see in this passage of Scripture, I think, is the reluctance of God to bring judgments, to bring punishment upon His people. He's reluctant to do it. He's very long-suffering. Isn't that what the Scripture says? He's merciful. Our call to worship tells us that. His mercy endureth forever, it says. And so He's reluctant to do this, and in an effort to avert the punishment, He'll send messengers to His people to tell them what's going to happen if they keep going their sinful way. He sends messengers to appeal to them to repent. Now, again, repent means what? To change your mind, to turn around, to go in a different direction. Now, this passage says that He rose up early and sent messengers and many messengers to try to get His people to repent. And it's because He had pity on them. But they wouldn't listen, would they? And not only would they not listen, they would scoff at His messengers. They despised their words. And finally, there was no healing for His people. There was no remedy. And the lightest punishment that a merciful God could send upon His rebellious people at this time was to have them taken by Babylon. At this particular time, this was what was in the best interest for God's people. Isn't that an amazing thought? To be taken captive. To be taken by Babylon. Sounds very strange. Now, a large portion of the Old Testament was written during that period, just before, during, and after the captivity. For example, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied at that time. Daniel prophesied in Babylon during that time. And not long actually before it happened, Isaiah sent an appeal to the people that they might turn around. 
So God spent an awful lot of time and sent an awful lot of messengers to His people, didn't He? There are also prophets like Hosea and Micah and Amos who were uh, sent to God's people with a message, a warning. But as we just read there in 2 Chronicles 36, God's professed people, His chosen people, would not listen. And as a result, doom was approaching. Uh, a doom that could no longer be averted. Now, these Old Testament prophecies, they were not just given to tell us the history of God's people in ancient times. They do that, but that wasn't the only reason. The prophecies were given to describe to us what is going to happen in our time. To warn us. To warn us about what will happen if we give the same regard to God's messengers. If we give the same regard to His prophets that He sends to us as they did to the messengers and prophets that He sent to them. I want to read to you something out of Prophets and Kings. Page four, pages 416 to 417. She says, Let none who claim to be the depositaries of God's law flatter themselves that the regard they may outwardly show toward the commandments will preserve them from the exercise of divine justice. Let none refuse to be reproved for evil, nor charge the servants of God with being too zealous in endeavoring to cleanse the camp from evil doing. A sin-hating God. You know, I think... Um, I think we hear from the pulpit so much about the love of God, we don't realize that He's a sin-hating God. And we kind of reason that away, don't we? God loves me too much to hate the sin in my life. Oh, really? <laughs> a sin-hating God calls upon those who claim to keep His law to depart from all iniquity. A neglect to repent and to render willing obedience will bring upon men and women today as serious consequences as came upon ancient Israel. That's an important principle to understand. There is a limit beyond which the judgments of Jehovah can no longer be delayed. The desolation of Jerusalem in the days of Jeremiah is a solemn warning to modern Israel that the counsels and admonitions given them through chosen instrumentalities cannot be disregarded with impunity. Our God is a holy God and our God will not be mocked. So the prophet says here that the desolation of Jerusalem is a solemn warning to modern Israel. That is God's professed people today. We need to really contemplate what that statement means. Here's another very similar statement about this. It's from the Signs of the Times, February 12, 1880. She says, The desolation of Jerusalem stands as a solemn warning before the eyes of modern Israel. It's a warning. Doom was approaching Israel then, wasn't it? We read in Second Chronicles. And let me tell you, beloved, doom is approaching modern Israel, the professed people of God today. In those days when Jeremiah was prophesying, he was, he was in constant danger. Once he was placed in prison... Once he was placed in a dungeon. A number of times his life was threatened. The rulers went to the king and said, Have this man put to death because he's weakening the arms of the people. He's always a downer. He discourages the people all the time. Does it remind you what Ahab said to Elijah? Are thee the one who troubleth Israel? I'm not the one that troubles Israel. <laughs> now, during the same time Jeremiah had been beaten and was in constant danger of his life or imprisonment, there were false prophets. There were false prophets that were very popular among the people. 
this might seem, I don't know, it might seem uh, uh, ironic or uh, paradoxical to the person who really hasn't studied the Scriptures. But anyone who's studied the Bible from the beginning well, to the end, you know that this seems to be the standard reaction among God's professed people. Sad to say, they tend to love the messages of the false prophets. And they hate the messenger of the, the message of the true prophet. Exactly. Smooth. Tickle the ears. Peter says that this is the way it was going to be in the future when he wrote his letter to the, uh, to the Christian church in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, the first two verses. He first briefly talks about what happened back in the Old Testament times and then notice what he says. He says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, he says, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. In verse 2 he says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways. That, that in the original language means lascivious doings, lustful things. The passions of the carnal heart is what he's saying. And many shall follow their carnal ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. So Peter says it's going to be in the future exactly the same way as it was in the past. And the false prophets, of course, said, hey, don't worry. Don't worry. The Lord's going to break the power of the king of Babylon. You're not going to be taken by Babylon. You're going to stay right here. That's what these false prophets were saying. We're the people of God. We're the apple of His eye. There's going to be prosperity. There's going to be peace. Jeremiah is just one of the prophets who warned God's people. Ezekiel said the same thing. And that tells us something about God, doesn't it? He pleads with us to repent. Ezekiel said that these false prophets would say, Peace, peace, when the Lord hasn't spoken peace. Both Isaiah and Ezekiel talk about it. You remember the story in Jeremiah 28 where the Lord told Jeremiah to take that yoke of wood? Told him to take a yoke of wood and put it on his neck and go and prophesy. You remember reading about that? He was going to... um, We're going to spend some time in Jeremiah. You could probably turn there to 28, chapter 28. He was going to go not only to the children of Israel, but also to the other nations and tell them that God had given them to serve under the king of Babylon. And they should submit to it. This is what the Lord says. To submit to it and not rebel against it. The false prophets, they didn't like that. They didn't like what Jeremiah (laughs) was saying. Hananiah, for one, became so angry that he went and he took the wooden yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and he broke it. And Hananiah told the people that the Lord was going to break the power of the king of Babylon like he just broke that wooden yoke. Well, the Lord left them to do as they wanted. Isn't that right? No. No. The Lord said, okay, that's it. I'm done with you. Is that the way the Lord works with us? The Lord told Jeremiah to go prophesy again. And only this time take with him a yoke of iron, not a yoke of wood. And to tell them that the Lord is going to place a yoke of iron upon them. They're not going to be, this iron is not going to be broken. In fact, Jeremiah said, even if the entire Babylonian army was wounded, they would still rise up and take the city captive. Jeremiah also had a message for the false prophets. (laughs) 
and specifically Hananiah, who had spoken a message as from the Lord, but it wasn't from the Lord, was it? Look at Jeremiah 28, verses 15 and 16. It says, Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah. This is a message from the Lord to you specifically, Hananiah. I would tremble, wouldn't you? You know, Sister White was given messages from the Lord to particular people. We find them in the testimonies because there are a lot of principles involved in these messages. I don't know about you, but if a prophet of the Lord came to me and said, the Lord has a message for you, Brother Joel, I probably would begin to tremble. This is a message directly to Hananiah. Hear now, Hananiah, he says, The Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. How'd you like to hear that message? This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. That's a very serious thing to claim to be a messenger of the Lord and not be a messenger of the Lord. There is to be a reverence in the desk. The desk is the mouthpiece of God. Hananiah died two months later. You know, when the Lord speaks, things happen, don't they? It is the false prophets who prophesy peace when there is no peace. Will the same thing happen in our time? (laughs) Well, it's been happening for a long time already. (laughs) And this has been predicted. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, pages 77 and 78. The patience of God has an object, but you are defeating it. He is allowing a state of things to come that you would fain see counteracted by and by, but it will be too late. God commanded Elijah to anoint the cruel and deceitful Haziel, king over Syria, that he might be a scourge to idolatrous Israel. Who knows whether God will not give you up to the deceptions you love. Who knows but that the preachers who are faithful, firm and true, may be the last who shall offer the gospel of peace to our unthankful churches. It may be that the destroyers are already training under the hand of Satan and only wait the departure of a few more standard bearers to take their places and with the voice of the false prophet cry, Peace, peace, when the Lord hath not spoken peace. You know, you gave me that Last time we were here, you gave me that newsletter from Brother Perez. And this, I was reading it. And this project that they have, the great controversy and the changes they made in it and the, the questions. The defining who spiritual Babylon is. They've changed the words of God. They're crying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Friends, what we've just read already, I would be shuddering. And I do shudder for them. Unless they repent, unless they hear the Lord. They may get a message directly to them. I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. Sister White continues, she says, I seldom weep, but now I find my tears blinded with tears. They are falling upon my paper as I write. It may be that ere long all prophesyings among us will be at an end. That's an amazing statement. And the voice which was stirred, the voice which has stirred the people may no longer disturb their carnal slumbers. When God shall work His strange work on the earth, when holy hands bear the ark no longer, woe will be upon the people.
You know, I often wondered how often the prophets of God wept. Probably quite often. The message of the false prophet is more popular because, well, you, you don't have to stand alone like Jeremiah did. You don't have to stand alone like Elijah did. John the Baptist. Are you willing to stand alone for God's truth? Now is the time to be preparing. In Matthew chapter 10, the Lord says, verses 18 to 20, He said, And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for My sake. That's an important part that kind of gets glossed over. Brought before them for My sake. There's a difference. There are some people who are overzealous and they're brought before governors and, and kings and it isn't for the Lord's sake though they may think it is. We've got to be sure that it's for the Lord's sake. Amen? He says we'll be brought before governors and kings for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. I praise God for that. God is so compassionate. He knows our frame. He knows that we will more than likely be terrified. That's a part of our nature. I mean, Jesus Christ was in a boat asleep. And the disciples were terrified. And Jesus is in their boat. Friends, Jesus is in our boat. And we can still be terrified. Isn't that true? God knows us, and He will calm the storm. He will calm our hearts. He'll give us, don't worry about what you need to say. I'll tell you what you need to say. That brings comfort to me. Verse 20 says, For it is not ye that speak, (laughs) but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. One of these days we're going to be standing alone, friends. Review and Herald, December 18th, 1888. It does not seem possible to us now that any should have to stand alone. But if God has ever spoken by me, the time will come when we shall be brought before councils and before thousands for His name's sake, and each one will have to give the reason of his faith. Beloved, why do you love Jesus? We all have a testimony. Why do you love Jesus? Why did you give your heart to Jesus? That's our testimony. What has God done for you? What is God doing for you? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to appear before councils, before thousands for Jesus' sake? To stand alone and give reasons why you believe what you believe? Five years later, she penned these words. Review and Herald, February 14th, 1893. Many will have to stand in the legislative courts. Some will have to stand before kings and before the learned of the earth to answer for their faith. Those who have only a superficial understanding of truth will not be able clearly to expound the scriptures and give definite reasons for their faith. They will become confused and will not be workmen that need not be ashamed. Let no one imagine that he has no need to study because he is not to preach in the sacred desk. You know not what God may require of you. I don't bring these things to your attention to to bring fear into your hearts, but to prepare you because now is a time to prepare. Now is a time to prepare. You know not what God may require of you. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand alone and give your testimony? And let me tell you this as an encouragement. You will never really be alone. The angels of God will always be with you. Always. That is God's promise. But from a human point of view, we may not be able to see anybody with our natural sight. 
But we have the promises of God. And God's not a liar. The church will see troublous times, beloved, and any preacher who's not warning you of this is giving you a message of a false prophet. Inspiration said that they spoke peace, peace when the Lord has not spoken peace. And God has not spoken peace today. He has not spoken peace. Testimonies for our church, volume 4, 4T, page 594 is the abbreviation for those taking notes. Until Christ shall appear in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Has that happened yet? She says, until then, men will become perverse in spirit and turn from the truth to fables. The church will yet see troublous times. She will prophesy in sackcloth. So the church will see troublous times. Now, it is true that the church prophesied in sackcloth from 538 A.D. to 1798 A.D. Isn't that true? But I want you to notice what we just read. That the church will have to prophesy in sackcloth again. The Lord says that there will be a time when the people of God will be taken by Babylon again at the end of time. God had not spoken peace to His people. He had not, could not speak peace. How could God speak peace to them when they were disobedient and rebellious against Him? He was instead appealing to His people to repent, wasn't He? But the time came when, because of their sins, the lightest punishment that God could, could give was for them to be taken by Babylon. That was the lightest punishment. And even then, God decided to make their lot lighter by telling them to cooperate with their conquerors. Submit to them. Cooperate. In fact, if you read through the middle chapters of the book of Jeremiah, you'll find out over and over again that right up to the last, the Lord appealed to them to repent and obey Him. Right up to the last. The Lord appealed to the leaders, to the king, to listen, to obey, to turn around. Look at Jeremiah chapter 38. The last chance is given here in Jeremiah 38. Um, I don't know when... I started, so. I hope you bear with me. Jeremiah 38, verse 17. And verse 18. This is last chance. Then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, he was the, the king, Thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if thou wilt assuredly go forth unto the king of Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and thou shalt live, and thine house. But if thou wilt not go forth to the king of Babylon's princes, then shall this city be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and thou shalt not escape out of their hand. So God's saying, up until the very last, you're going into captivity. But go, go willingly. Submit. This is the last chance before being taken by Babylon. And Jeremiah is telling Zedekiah, if you do what the Lord is telling you to do, then the city is not going to be burned. You're going to live. And not only you will live, but also your house will live. Now you'd think if you knew the God of heaven was speaking to you <laughs> that you would listen, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd listen to Him because it not only affects you, but it affects your city. It affects your family. It affects the house you live in. I mean, it would be the thing to do. But the king didn't do it. Why did Zedekiah refuse to listen to the prophet of the Lord and do what God was asking him to do? Why didn't he do it? 
It's the same reason that the majority of God's professed people do not obey the counsel of the Lord through His prophets and messengers today. You read it through the Gospels. Same reason. Zedekiah refused to obey the Lord because of his fear of the Jews. Notice what it says in verses 19 and 20. Jeremiah 38, 19, 20. And Zedekiah the king said unto Jeremiah, I am afraid of the... Who? Jews. I am afraid of the Jews that are fallen to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand, and they mock me. Was Jesus mocked? Was He ridiculed? Will His followers be mocked and ridiculed? But Jeremiah said, look at verse 20, They shall not deliver thee. Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord, which I speak unto thee. So it shall be well unto thee, and thy soul shall live. Jeremiah is pleading with Zedekiah. Why would Zedekiah not do what God told him to do? He was afraid of the Jews. He was afraid of the people around Secretly, he wanted to know the truth. But he was not willing to obey it. You know, there are a lot of people like that. Why was this king not willing to obey divine counsel even when he believed it was the truth? When you read through the account, you see that over and over again he would secretly send for Jeremiah. Did you know that? Secretly, he would send for him. And he'd say, tell me, is there a message from God for us? Tell me, I want to know. And when he received the message, he didn't say, I don't believe it. You can't find it in there when he would say, I don't believe it. You knew he believed it. You knew he believed Jeremiah because he believed he was a prophet from God. He would hear the truth but not obey because he feared the Jews, the people. How did this terrible fear take such hold of his mind that he eventually lost everything? And and he lost everything. He didn't just lose everything. He lost it all in a terrible way. Let's go to uh, chapter 39. Verse 4. And it came to pass that when Zedekiah the king of Judah saw them and all the men of war, then they fled and went forth out of the city by night, by the way of the king's garden, by the gate betwixt the two walls. And and he went out of the way of the plain, out into the desert. But the Chaldeans' army pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment upon him. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah in Reblah before his eyes. He killed Zedekiah's family before his eyes. Also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah before Zedekiah's eyes. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him, where? To Babylon. It's a terrible story that could have been avoided. The city was burned. Thousands of God's people were killed. The rulers were slaughtered. Zedekiah watched his own family slaughtered, and then his own eyes were put out, and he was taken to Babylon. The last thing he ever saw was his family put to death. And it could have been avoided. There are consequences to our choices. And we can tie God's hands by our choices where He can't help us like He would want to help because God created us as free moral beings. That's the risk that God took. 
This is from the SDA Bible Commentary. It's Ellen White's writings. Volume 2. That would be SDA BC. <laughs> Volume 2, page uh, 1040. 1040. She says, Zedekiah was faithfully instructed through the prophet Jeremiah how he might be preserved from the calamities that would surely come upon him if he did not change his course and serve the Lord. The calamities came because he would not, through obedience, place himself under the protection of God. What does obedience do? It puts us under the protection of God. But he wouldn't do that. With his eyes put out, he was led in chains of captivity to Babylon. What a sad and awful warning is this to those who harden themselves under reproof and who will not humble themselves in repentance that God may save them. None of us likes to be reproved. Self doesn't. Self hates it. Jesus softens our hearts. He helps to remove self from us and we become selfless. When we refuse, our heart actually becomes hardened instead of softened. And a lot of it is just reform things that will help us be better people. You know, look at the Advent movement, what was brought to them. God was very gracious, very long-suffering, very patient. He brought truth to us as we could handle it. When Jesus moved from the holy place into the most holy place, what is in the most holy place? The Ark of the Covenant. What is in that Ark? The commandments of God. What is the shining example within all the commandments that tell us about the Creator? The Sabbath. So you see in the Advent movement, God brought them step by step into His law, into the Sabbath, into health reform, into dress reform. Do we not want to be citizens of heaven? You know, they dress a certain way there. You know, they eat a certain way there. They behave a certain way there. They sing a certain way there. We need to humble ourselves in repentance before God so He can save us. Amen? Let us not reject reproof because you know, that means God loves us. God loved Zedekiah. God loved His people. He appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed. Now, part of the reason why Zedekiah would not humble himself and obey was because of the false prophets. The false prophets were very popular with the people and with the rulers. Jeremiah was not. But the false prophets were very popular, and there are still false prophets who are very popular, more popular than God's servants are today. Here's another one from Volume 4, The Testimonies. Page 185. There are many false prophets in these days to whom sin does not appear specially repulsive. They complain that the peace of the people is unnecessarily disturbed disturbed by the reproofs and warnings of God's messengers. As for them, they lull the souls of sinners into a fatal ease by their smooth and deceitful teachings. Ancient Israel was thus charmed by the flattering messages of the corrupt priests. Their prediction of prosperity was more pleasing than the message of the true prophet who counseled repentance and submission. The servants of God should manifest a tender, compassionate spirit and show to all that they are not actuated by any personal motives in their dealings with the people and that they do not take delight in giving messages of wrath in the name of the Lord. A lot of times it's how you deliver the message, isn't it? But they must never flinch from pointing out the sins that are corrupting the professed people of God, nor cease striving to influence them to turn from their errors and obey the Lord. Those who seek to cloak sin and make it appear less aggravating to the mind of the offender are doing the work of the false prophets and may expect the retributive wrath 
of God to follow such a course. Do you think Hananiah believed Jeremiah when he said, the Lord has a message for you, Hananiah? I think he did. The false prophet said, why are you making these people to be continually reminded of their sins and threatened with punishment? (laughs) Why do you keep doing this, Jeremiah? Man, you're a thorn in our flesh. These messages of peace and sin strengthen the people to resist the message of, of Jeremiah. Peace in sin. Think about that. Peace in sin. You know, with the Holy Spirit, you'll never be at peace if you're in sin. (laughs) He's going to be pricking against your heart all the time. I said yesterday in the studio, guilt does not go away. It has to be removed. And you can't remove it. It has to be supernaturally removed by God. He's the only one that can do it. Old people try. They get drunk. They become addicts. They go into the pleasures of the world. They try to get rid of the guilt, but it can't get taken care of. It's still there. And the only way you continually feel it is because of the love of God. The love of God is pricking you and saying, Repent and return to me. Guilt can only be removed supernaturally by the blood of Christ, friends. Peace in sin is a message of false prophets. And you know where they're going to end up? Same place that those prophets of Baal ended up at Mount Carmel. They'll be destroyed. Let's not be destroyed with them. Amen? Here's another reason why Zedekiah didn't obey the truth. Prophets and Kings, page 450, says he rebelled against the prophets, against his benefactor, and against his God. In the vanity of his own wisdom, he turned for help to the ancient enemies of Israel's prosperity, sending his ambassadors into Egypt that they might give him horses and much people. So, Zedekiah listened to false prophets, but he also turned to the vanity of his own wisdom. Friends, there is no insanity so dreadful as as human wisdom unaided and undirected by the wisdom of God. That's insane. And we see this insanity everywhere amongst God's people today. It's incredible. Have you ever been talking to someone and you can just read a scripture to them? I know you've had this experience. Well, that's your interpretation. Are you serious? Read it yourself. (laughs) No, it's not. It's God's interpretation. You know it. You're just denying it. It's insanity. That was the problem that King Saul had. It was the problem that Haziel had. He was wise above what was written. He was wiser than the prophet. (laughs) And that became the problem for Zedekiah, the vanity of his own wisdom. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. So far in the example of Zedekiah, we find three reasons really why he was taken by Babylon. First, the king did not humble himself and obey. And friends, these are principles. We'll be taken by Babylon, but are we going to be a remnant in Babylon? 
Second, the influence of the false prophets. And third, the king trusted to his own wisdom. Here's a fourth reason. Prophets and Kings, page 440. Through Jeremiah, Zedekiah, and all Judah, including those taken to Babylon, were counseled to submit quietly to the temporary rule of their conquerors. It was especially important that those in captivity should seek the peace of the land into which they had been carried. This, however, was contrary to the inclinations of the human heart. And Satan, taking advantage of the circumstances, caused false prophets to arise among the people, both in Jerusalem and in Babylon, who declared that the yoke of bondage would soon be broken and the former prestige of the nation restored. The fourth reason is that the truth was contrary to the inclinations of the human heart. Satan takes advantage of that. He takes advantage of our inclinations. And the king was taken by Babylon. And it's predicted that this will be the exact same situation in the last days. Paul says it in 2 Thessalonians 2. I don't know how I am on time. Tyler, what's the recording say back there? Time-wise. Ooh. I don't have much time. But you can read that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 to 12. You know, people today want a religion. Do you agree with that? You know, they want a religion. Uh, not just people of the world. They want a religion. But also people that say they're Christians. People who say that they're part of God's remnant people. They want a religion. They want a religion that, reg- that agrees with the inclinations of their heart, though. But Bible religion does not agree with the inclination of the human heart. That's why Jesus said, if anybody comes after me, they need to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Isn't that right? Isn't that why Jesus said to Nebuchadnezzar, you have to be born again? Because your heart is wicked. The religion of the Bible is contrary to the inclinations of the human heart. There's one more reason that led to Zedekiah being taken by Babylon. And this reason is actually, it's a very common one that's found uh, throughout the world. In fact, the reasons why Zedekiah was taken by Babylon are the same reasons that anybody is taken by Babylon (laughs) and will be destroyed along with Babylon. The three angels' messages is a call to come out of Babylon, isn't it? This is found in Prophets and Kings, page 457. Thus, even to the last hour, God made plain His willingness to show mercy to those who would choose to submit to His just requirements. Had the king chosen to obey, the lives of the people might have been spared and the city saved from conflagration. But he thought he had gone too far to retrace his steps. You catch that? He thought he had gone too far. I would talk to my little brother. And he believed he had gone too far. I'm too guilty for God to forgive me. He told me that. I've done too many bad things. Zedekiah thought he had gone too far. People have gone contrary to what God has said to do for so long that they think there's no hope. But there was hope for Zedekiah and the professed people of God. We just read it. Jeremiah said, if you will just submit to the king of Babylon, you will save your life. The city will not be burned with fire. You will save your family and you will all live. But he thought he had gone too far to retrace his steps. The devil tries to get us to think we've gone too far. He beats upon our guilt. He gets us discouraged. He beats upon our discouragement and tries to get us to be despondent. Despondent to the call 
of the Spirit. Jesus says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He doesn't say, Clean yourself up before you come to me. Does he? Can we clean ourselves up? Jesus says, Come. Just come. Zedekiah could have been saved. The whole city could have been saved. His family could have been saved. You know something? Whenever there's a message of repentance brought forth, the natural heart rejects it, and then not only does it reject it, it blames the messenger. You see that? Jeremiah was blamed. Elijah was blamed. John the Baptist was blamed. Prophets and Kings, page 442. To the end of time, men will arise to create confusion and rebellion. When the terrible results of their evil deeds are made manifest, they will seek, if possible, to make the one who has faithfully warned them responsible for their difficulties. It will be that way until the end of time. Those who are preaching lies will blame God's messengers for everything that's going wrong. You know, we need to have a law to keep Holy Sunday. See all these things happening around? It's because of these people. God's people will be blamed for standing up and being like Jesus. You know, you don't even have to say a word. You just live like Jesus lived. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Light and darkness can't mix. It's easy for people to read what we've been reading in the Bible and simply think that they're reading a story, you know, an ancient story about what happened to God's people a long time ago. But the time of Zedekiah, in that time, the people of God were taken by Babylon. It's not just a story of long ago. It's something that will happen again. Remember what we read. The desolation of Jerusalem in the days of Jeremiah is a solemn warning to modern Israel that the counsels and admonitions given them through chosen instrumentalities cannot be disregarded with impunity. Are God's professed people going to be taken by Babylon? Yes, they are. They were taken by Babylon in Jeremiah's and Daniel's time. They were taken by Babylon in 538 to 1798. And Revelation 13 and 14 describes that they will be taken by Babylon at the end of time. Are you ready for that day? For it will come. In Micah chapter 4, we read a prophecy for the last days. The very opening words in the chapter are, But in the last days it shall come to pass. Then it talks about the great worldwide international religious peace movement. It describes in it language very similar to the way Isaiah described actually the great international religious peace movement in the last days. Isaiah described it in the second chapter of his book. You can read that when you have a chance to. Micah describes it in the fourth chapter of his book. Now I want you to notice what it says in Micah 4 and verse 9. Speaking here to God's people about the last days, he says, Now why dost thou cry out aloud, Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. You know, Zedekiah was the last king. You realize that? After Zedekiah, you can read in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord says, There is never going to be a king over my people again until he comes who is righteous. And I'm going to give the kingdom to him. And that was the Messiah, of course. 
Look at Micah 4 and verse 10. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. What? There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. What? There's coming a time, friends when some of God's children will be driven out into the cities, out of the cities and into the fields, the rocks, into the mountains. Some will be down in Babylon, down in the belly of the beast. Some of them will be in dungeons somewhere. The church is going to see troublous times. She's going to prophesy in sackcloth. Don't let any false prophet tell you otherwise. Micah 4, 7 says, And I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. The Lord says, I'm going to take my people that have been taken by Babylon and make them a remnant for a strong nation. I am going to reign over them. Are you going to be one of the remnant, beloved? Not all who profess to be Israel are of Israel. Not all who profess to be Israel will be saved. In fact, very few. Only a remnant will be saved. And that's what the Bible says, isn't it? So when all the world bows down to Babylon, there will be like the three Hebrew worthies there on the plains of Dura, there will be a remnant that will stand. They'll stand for the Lord, though threatened with death. There will be a death decree, will there not? Just as there was on the plains of Dura. This will be repeated. A remnant that the Lord will deliver from the fiery flames of Babylon. Do you want to be among that remnant? That remnant that God will deliver from Babylon. Another time of trouble is coming, friends. Don't listen to false prophets. Don't be afraid for the Jews. Do you know there's a reason? There's a reason why the three angels' messages opens with the words, Fear God. <laughs> As we approach the end of human history, all of us are going to be in one of two categories. We're either going to fear God and obey Him and be obedient to His law and His will, or we're going to fear man and obey His laws that are contrary to the laws of God. There's only going to be two classes. There's going to be the sheep and there's going to be the goats. What category are we going to be in? Now's the time to be preparing to be a sheep in the pasture of the Lord. Every day you're making decisions. And these decisions are going to determine your eternal destiny. And when taken by Babylon, where will you be in relation to God? Will you be with the great majority who, because of the fear of the Jews, don't humble themselves and obey God? Or will you listen to the influence of the false prophets and trust your own wisdom following the inclinations of your heart? Is that what will happen? Or will you trust God? Know that you're never alone. Troublous times are coming, friends, and now is the time to get ready. Now is the time to be studying your Bible. Now is the time to be saying, Lord, teach me the truth. I want to be ready. I want to be a witness for you. I want to be able to stand just as they did on the plains of Dura. I don't want to be controlled by the inclinations of my own heart. I want to give up sin. I would rather die than sin, Lord. Give me the grace to be that way. close with this scripture Psalms 91 because he hath set his love upon me therefore will I deliver him 
love Jesus? That's the question, isn't it? I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Friends, if you don't get anything else out of what I've said today, know this. God loves you. God is fighting for you. God is protecting you. How will you respond? Let's respond by giving Him our whole heart, not just half. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You so very, very much. Oh, Lord, we praise Your holy name. We thank You so much that You care and love us so much that that You fight for us. Even when we deny You, You fight for us. You want us to be saved. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for seeing the things of the world and taking our eyes off of the kingdom. Lord, cleanse us as with hyssop and prepare us for what's coming ahead, these troublous times. We know that they're coming across the, the threshold now. And Lord, when we're scared, bring peace to our hearts. Give us courage to stand though others bow. And may we be among the redeemed. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.